Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hi, Sarah. Does my voice sound any better this week? It does. It does. Well, I like the way it sounded. Me too. Then too. So it's kind of nice. Do you think that I could go to the doctor and request that my voice be made permanently hoarse and like throaty and sexy sounding? I mean, you should be allowed to do this. Because uh... I identify as a lady classic rock DJ from the 80s. That's my true identification. (laughs) I'm Carol Miller. That's a reference you'll never get, but... Um, mm-hmm. The classic rock DJ ladies had amazing voices back then. Um, so, well, you still sound good. Thank you still you. sound uh, a little hoarse. Yeah. So it turned out I had COVID. So we we finished oh. recording last week, and uh, I started feeling really bad as we were wrapping up. I don't even remember what I was saying or what you were saying. And then I I reluctantly did a COVID test, and sadly it was positive. So here we are, a week later. Yeah. And I'm yeah. So was this your first time getting COVID? Yeah. 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 And I was really smug about having never gotten it. So it, was, it wasn't great. I have to say I had a low grade fever. I felt really, really crappy. I was pretty, uh, pretty down for at least, you know, at least, at least two or three days. I would say it was a week, a week total of being yeah. sick. Okay, well, we have got a number of topics to discuss this week. But first, we're going to get our little promotional items out of the way. Yeah, and don't fast forward through this. Yeah, this is actually don't big. This is we're not gonna we're gonna like be really efficient about. <laughs> we'll this. know. We'll know if you. Yeah. If you, the the first there's gonna thing, be a quiz at the end of the at the end of the podcast, yeah. and, <laughs> and you're gonna want to hear this because we are gonna do something for you guys uh, for the founding members. As promised, we're finally making good on our promise, and we're gonna do a hangout with you. Yeah, yeah. So sorry it took so long. Um, it uh, yeah, it, it, it took too long, but. Uh, for our founding members, um, people who've committed a good chunk of change uh, to the podcast, um, we will have regularly scheduled hangouts, like happy hour type. I mean, they're on Zoom. They're not in real life. But but we will be in front of our computers with the camera on. Uh, yeah. Ugh, yeah. But we'll... They we'll, have to we'll, have the camera we'll, on too, though. You have to have the... Yeah. We want to see we're your not, face. We're not Otherwise, letting you in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it would be it would no, be kind of creepy if they no. We we would still let them in. Maybe no. I don't know. No, no. They, everybody has to have the camera on. Sometimes they don't, it's, or something. You know, they flick on and off. It's like if you have to get up. Sometimes I'll turn it okay, off. Okay. Like I don't want people to see me like you know get up out of my chair and then just see the like chair sitting that, there. So yeah. sometimes I turn or, the camera off for that. Like get up and notice and see that you don't have like proper pants on. Yeah, yeah. That's my problem. Um, <laughs> proper pants on yeah so this is going to be what is it going to be sarah um so we are doing it it's november 5th will be our first happy hour unhappy, unhappy hour, hour as we're calling it. in, unhappy in sarah's hour, honor 
yeah. going to be the, we'll just, pe- we'll the pes- pessimistic, <laughs> nihilistic, unhappy hour. Um, yeah, and we'll just do a little, little intimate, little Zoom happy hour conversation, and it can be about anything or nothing. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll find yeah, out. And it's be, it should be, be good. What time is it going to be? Um, I, we don't. Do we know that? Yeah, yeah it's five, five be o'clock. Five, five o'clock. Eastern time. So it's going to be time. five uh, to you know about to, to about six thirty or so Eastern time on Saturday, November fifth. Yeah. So sorry for those of you who for whom that time zone is not applicable at all. We apologize. Some people that's going to be in the middle of the night. Uh, for me, it's going to be mid afternoon, but we thought that was, that was the best. Yeah. This is that this will work. And then we will, I and mean, we'll, we'll try and vary it. Um, so the next one um, in a few months, we'll, we'll try and we'll try and keep it a, l- a little different so that uh, everybody gets a chance to participate. Um, yeah. And uh, founding members will get more information about this sometime soon yeah that's but, right uh, put it on your calendar what else do we have to promote um mm. your sub i have a conference anything? oh you've got a, yeah, conference. I have a conference yeah I have a conference coming up uh for a non-profit that i n- another non-profit that i co-founded it's called <laughs> <laughs> rights and religions forum um and i'm on the board i'm putting together a conference with my co-founder um we're kind of a new organization. We we were founded in 2019. And the whole point of the organization was to have these real life events, you know, sort of curate conversations and uh, real and, life events. Uh, yeah. And you started real it in life. 2019. And we started Ooh, in 2019. End of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it was, the, the last conference was, yeah, uh, like, uh, same time i think it was like late october yeah. 2019 and that's you know and then we were just gonna everyone was so excited it was a great it was a great conference and um just to sum it up in like a sentence about what we're about we're we're um an organization that uh convenes conversations among people who have left isolated religious communities and we're here to discuss you know how religious liberty and individual rights um, can conflict sometimes and, you know, what duty the public has to intervene. Um, and, and yeah. And, and, and so it's a, it's, it's, it's these very sophisticated conversations among um, leaders in this sort of ex religious space. Um, and, and also some religious people um, who, who are wanting, wanting to participate in academics and researchers and media people. So it's, it's, it, the first conference was in 2019 and it was so, great i was so i mean because it, it was like a shit show up until the very end <laughs> um wait what do you mean a, the, wait wait from, wait, wait, from the, the organization the con- oh this the shit yeah. the conference itself was not so, a shit. so what it was, it, it was so, so great it was a shit show to the last was, very last so, minute <laughs> the whole way no, the conference turned out to be okay. incredible but you know what happened so what happened is we were going to be at columbia um but something happened at the last second it was all this columbia university university and at the last second they they were like no we're not going to host you and it was it was just like tuesday before the event and the event was on saturday and we didn't have a venue (laughs) wait was this like for ideological reasons um no there were some there were some issues in terms of security and I, I won't go into detail but like there were it, it was it was administrative problems but in any case it was a shit show because we, we were just scrambling not sleeping trying to find another suitable venue in new york city at that time um because we had speakers flying over all oh, all over wow. you know from 
actually uh, international speakers too at that time and people who had bought all these t- paid for tickets right to show up and um anyway scrambling scrambling put together the event it turned out amazing the venue that we found was actually better it was beautiful and it, it, it was it was wonderful and people were so excited to have more of these events and yeah. we're like yeah we're gonna have all these events and we have all this plan next year and then covid came and said no you can't have any events ever again <laughs> yeah um anyway we're back at it we have a one-day conference october 22nd in washington dc it is the venue is beautiful and it's they're not backing out <laughs> it's locked in um if you want to buy the tickets you can find the links um at rarforum.org that's rarforum.org i will also leave a link in on the substack page um so join me i'll be there a bunch of other speakers will be there we have all these great speakers um from all these different ex communities um here to discuss uh yeah religious freedom individual rights all these things if you're interested in that anyway that's i'm done with my promotion that's amazing that sounds really really (laughs) Really, really interesting. I wish I could go, but I don't. I don't. I'm not from a religious community. Can any can anybody go, or do you have to qualify? Anyone like, can go. Anyone I, who's interested in for 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 the for the audience. Anyone who's interested in this and interested in these questions, um, we're here for you, and we think it's going to be fun. Last last time was great, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. And there's a little cocktail reception afterwards too, so we can relax and unwind. Nice. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, congratulations. That sounds great. People should go to that. Um, yeah, I don't really, I, I have uh, my second unspeakeasy retreat is coming up October 25th or 28th in Stony Point, New York, which is just outside of New York. It is full uh, for the most part. It is effectively full. If <laughs> there was some talk of like double bunking. So if you are like really, really dying to go and you want to share a room with somebody, uh, you can get in touch with me, but it's uh, basically sold out. I will also be at the Chicago Humanities Festival on October 29th in conversation with Michael Shermer. We're going to be talking about his new book about conspiracy theories called Conspiracy. And he's also going to be on the Unspeakable podcast. So that's coming up in Chicago. But anyway, that's not for a few weeks. All right. Everybody's uh, tuned out now. They've all turned yeah, off their sorry. podcast. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, thanks for uh, seeing hell, everybody. And um, <laughs> see you next week. So, okay. So what do we, what do we have? Um, we're going to talk about, so I had a very bizarre, I thought, assignment from the New York Times. Yeah. So t- give us the whole background <laughs> on what, what, how this how- got how this happened i know so <laughs> the new york times called me which they still do occasionally you know i i review books for the book review uh not infrequently uh and it's not like i'm persona non grata there so, uh, several people seem to be sort of shocked that i was writing for the times N- not not at all but i i got a call from the opinion section and they said they were putting together uh, a package about mental health a series of articles and they wanted to know if I would conduct an interview with a conservative therapist. Now, have you ever thought about therapists, like in terms of conservative versus liberal? Like, what what does conservative uh, therapist mean to you? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I guess I haven't thought about what it means to me. I, I know what a liberal therapist means, like to a me. therapist in New York. Like a liberal therapist would just be somebody, yeah, like in insane. a Woody Allen movie. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I don't know. I, 
I don't have the greatest um, view on therapy in general. I mean, now I'm going to get killed for this. People are going to get so mad. Oh, they're if already you're, mad. If you're in therapy, you're, you're, I, I'm not judging you for being in therapy. I'm not. I promise. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I have some doubts about oh uh about things but anyway yeah okay. tell me tell well, me what 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 so, is a conservative yeah therapist? so that's what i said so what's a conservative therapist and it turns out there's a website uh that you can go to that's like a database of conservative therapists because it's been identified as a problem that because most uh people who go into psychology who are you know clinical licensed therapists social workers that kind of thing are tend to be more liberal and so apparently there's a problem of people being afraid to tell their therapist what they actually think and feel because they're afraid the therapist is going to be like woke or something like that and yeah. uh i have heard this from people talking about their own therapists as well as from therapists themselves who say mm -hmm. that people come in are kind of like tiptoeing around certain issues and that this has especially come up post-Trump, post the Trump mm -hmm. election, and um, that it's pretty acute because families are being divided over political issues and people are like needing to go to therapy because they have anxiety and for all these reasons that we've discussed ad nauseum, just the sort of baseline mental health of the, of the, of the society has gotten worse uh, in the last you know, four or five, six years. So um, there is a database for for therapists who lean conservative. And <laughs> the, the woman who started the database is a very, very interesting person. Anyway, that, that's not the point. The, the Times wanted to take somebody, find somebody on this database and have me do an interview with that person um, about what their approach to therapy would be. And they reached out to a number of people. <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot of them didn't answer. Shocker! The New York Times is calling you to ask if you would talk mm. about being a conservative mm. therapist. Um, but a woman named D. Bridge, D-E-A-D, -E Bridge, in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, answered the call. And uh, she was great. It, it was a really easy assignment. All I had to do was conduct an interview with her and send the transcript in the, into the Times uh, I thought it was just a total, like, it was just completely off the cuff. I barely thought about it. Uh, and then they, they, we, we had a conversation about what, cause I, I really couldn't tell what was conservative about her, to be honest. She just seemed like a reasonable person. Um, and she, you know, she's Christian, uh, that's, she's of the Christian faith. She has certain Christian values, but she made pretty clear that they didn't enter into the into the therapy process at all. Frankly, her main job is working with sex offenders, mm. people on the sex offender registry. And that's actually a fascinating topic. I've covered it on the unspeakable podcast. The sex offender registry is a, is a really blunt instrument. And mm -hmm, a lot of people mm -hmm. make the argument that it should be done away yeah. with. So anyway, so she, she actually doesn't have a lot of, you know, just sort of normal clients going to talk about their problems, but she's a, it's a very pragmatic approach. And I asked her things like, um, if somebody was going in, if, if, if somebody was, you know, so upset about politics that they were having to take anxiety medicine or, or just couldn't sleep and all this. And I know plenty of people that this is true of. She said, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Why would you let one person control your life that way? One person <laughs> being Donald Trump. And I said, well, he is the president, so I can see why people would see him as more than just a random person. And she said, well, Barack Obama was the president too. And people thought he was the antichrist. And is it really reasonable to have that, have your 
feeling that Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Control your thoughts. So, um, you know, that, that was the kind of, those were the kind of answers she was giving. I thought she was a really nice person and um, completely reasonable. And uh, there were certainly moments in the conversation where I thought, well, I, I would go to her for therapy. She can only practice in Colorado. So even if you want to meet with her over Zoom, you can't do that unless you live in Colorado. Anyway, um, this turned out to be like a huge, I don't know if it was a viral piece, but uh, it got a lot, a lot of comments in the times, many of which I have to say were probably responding to the fact that the photo that they used of her was her sitting in her office with an American flag um, framed in the background. They had taken a lot of pictures apparently of her on her farm. She lives on a big acreage. She's got chickens. Um, They took a lot of pictures of her with her dog. The one that the times ran uh, happened to feature an American flag. So my guess is that people were reacting triggered to that, by the flag. triggered by the flag. So I have to say, for my own mental health, I did not look at the Times comments at all. They didn't really say anything. I read a few of them. I don't... They were just sort of like, how is she conservative? What's so conservative oh, they were, about okay. this? Okay. And, and also, at the same time, at the same time, they were saying that, that you know, I, uh, I'm a liberal and I don't, you know, I don't see what's, I go into my per- profession and, you know, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist and I, I go in and I never assume anything and blah, blah, blah. Like it was almost, it was almost, there's, there's nothing conservative about her. Also, it's not necessary. And also she's unprofessional for even, a, 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 even feeling as if it's, it's necessary. I, well, she doesn't yeah, feel I that just, way. <laughs> so <laughs> the Times feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. You know. I mean, it. It. it from the. From the. The interview that you did. It. It was a little bit unclear to me what she actually meant by by conservative values, especially since she said, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't bring that. Mm-hmm. Then you know. Then it, I was a little confused as to what she does bring. Um, yeah. And I. You know, and 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 what she d- mentioned so- towards at the end, you know, eating right, that kind of thing. Like, let me, let me. Yeah, you, know, you said what's the best thing people can do for their mental health? She said, fix your diet, examine how you're spending your free time <laughs> and who you're spending it with. Just take responsibility for your choices and stop blaming other people for uh-oh, your feelings. Oh, oh, that last sentence. Yeah, I think that last sentence is kind of conservative, um, and everything else doesn't seem. Yeah. So like, for instance, I asked her what she would do if someone came in, a woman who was pregnant, who was seriously considering getting an abortion. And Mm -hmm. she said um, it would not, the conversation we might have would be sort of framed around what this woman could, what what kind of choice she could live with. Um, Mm -hmm. And she said, it's not my job to start thumping a Bible and saying, you're going to go to hell if you, if you do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was pretty reasonable. Um, yeah. yeah. She also said, you know, I had to ask about trans transgender. I said, what if somebody came in who had a child who was identifying as trans or a trans person? And she actually said, and again, this is complicated because she said, well, this actually has come up in the context of who I, what I, the people I deal with who are sex offenders. And mm-hmm. I had somebody who was a trans identifying person and I was working with them, but the, the nature of the work had nothing to do with the trans identity. Like that was a, that mm-hmm. was a, so- a separate issue. And so she mm-hmm. said the fact that that wasn't the focus of the work meant she was comfortable doing it. If otherwise she would have probably referred the person to somebody else, but mostly because she just, 
it's not her wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the sense that it was some grand judgment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, it's so interesting the way that as soon as you start talking about personal responsibility, um, not blaming, uh, not blaming other people or things, uh, for your problems, people get really, really angry and defensive. I was certainly seeing that on, on Twitter around this. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of people that were denying the need for something like this. And I wonder if they would feel the same way if the situation was reversed, if it was the case that like, you know, 98% of, of, psychiatrists or whatever they are therapists identify on the left i mean if it was if the skew was the other way oh, around, identifying on the right you mean or yeah on uh on the right yeah if the skew was the other way around i bet you there would be many liberals signing up for a you know liberal therapists uh website and and seeking a resource like that i think it's it's less of what that person is necessarily going to say but when you go into a room do you feel comfortable enough to say what you really think um, without feeling like that, that person is about to, you know, judge you terribly or presume a lot of things about you because you know their worldview? I think it's the comfort of the patient yeah. more so than what the therapist is necessarily bringing to the table. And I, I understand that because, of course, if the situation was reversed, I think liberal the liberals would understand it, too. Um there have been, I, I, you know, in my own, you know, work, um, there have been directories of secular therapists mm. for people who are in very religious parts of the country who would prefer to speak with people who who themselves don't don't believe. So they they they, they don't. I mean, I, and I, and I can't imagine many responsible therapists would really push anyone into faith one way or the other. Um, uh, but I think it it's it's a more comfortable situation for the patient. Um, to go into an environment where they feel that they're not going to be stigmatized for their for their yeah, beliefs. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was just really struck by the sheer number of therapists on Twitter who are absolutely committed to taking a social justice approach to their work. Like mm-hmm. this is definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I didn't look at the Times comments. I also was really sick. Like I, I had COVID during all this. I said, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm in too much of a weakened state to look at these comments in in the times, but I was kind of following the Twitter comments, not super closely, but from time to time. And initially people seemed to love the interview. They said, Oh, this lady's great. And then of course the thing that happens always happens, which is that one person who hates it gets their hands on it. And then it, they, you know, it explodes from there. So there were a lot of people talking about how they were mental health professionals and how having the attitude that um, you could conduct any therapy without talking about power structures and the way that uh, your you know systemic discrimination was at the root of all your problems to ignore that was mm-hmm. negligence uh, mm-hmm. according to them, to them mm-hmm. and it's so it's just so interesting because. Uh, I don't know why I'm surprised because there's people who people, excuse me, people who have their own mental health struggles often go into the mental health profession. That's not saying that therapists are crazy, but 
it is a cycle, you know, mm-hmm. and I was seeing a lot of people on Twitter who said they were therapists, but then their Twitter handles would say things like um, that they were neurodiverse or they would have sort of identity categories that hinted at uh, kind of mental health diagnoses themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obvious that there there's an entire industry that has to do with sort of perpetuating mental health struggles in the name of fixing them. Hmm. Uh, And I want to be really careful about this because everybody's mental health struggles are different. Everybody's relationship with their therapist is different. Some things work, some things don't. I I don't, I'm not real. I'm not making any like huge generalizations, but it does seem to me that at the end of the day, the purpose of going to therapy is to help somebody is to have somebody help you figure out what is reality and yeah. what is it about your mindset that is causing you to not see certain things that are reality. Like you have the idea that you are um, incapable or inept or something like mm-hmm. that, or that your mother destroyed you in such a way that you can't live your life as a functional person. The purpose of therapy would be to see that that's, doesn't represent reality, that that is a distorted view of the truth. Mm-hmm. And so to, to have an approach that's entirely about just reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I don't, I don't want to say too much because I'm going to put my foot, you know, entirely but in my that's mouth. That's the purpose um, of this show. That is a part, but the, there are, there are limits even to how, uh, how stupid Okay. Well, like bonus, okay, okay, bonus I'll, content, I'll, I'll get... you can be really, really <laughs> bad. But I, I, I do think there's, there's, that aspect that you're pointing to is real and it i've seen it with my friends who some of my friends who've who've been to therapy and long time therapy some of them of course do well in it and and appear to do well in it others they, they yeah they they come back with all these realizations about how such and such traumas impacted them and it feels to me like i don't i i mean i just don't know the how healthy it is to go digging through your past and 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 obsessively focusing on like minor details that you may or may not remember correctly yeah <laughs> you know and and presuming that they have such an important role to play in who you are now i mean and again maybe for some people that is that is the 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 correct approach but for many people i've seen that as it's almost a way of re-traumatizing yourself you know like going in once a week remembering all the reasons that you know all the bad things that happened to you and and feeling fucked up and you know and i i don't know how how healthy that is and i of course not every therapist does that um many therapists hopefully don't do anything like that Um, but i have heard it um, and it concerns me a little bit as to, you know, and, you know, people also say things like, you know, I had to, I had to go through four or five therapists before I found a good one. I'm like, what is that? What? Like, well, that's true. Like, that's true. Yeah, that, I mean, well, it's yeah. true. It's true. But what is that? But what does that say about a profession where it, 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 it's so, it's so loose what works and what doesn't and what works for whom and and well so it's much not clear to me is the personality of the therapist that's like you have to go on a lot of dates before you can find right the right one. I think that's my discomfort with this 
with with psychiatry and then therapy also that there's so much um subjectivity oh yeah um, it's 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 hard for me to feel comfortable with it and i and i wonder if when it comes to s- certain problems that people have and certain traumas even that the best way of getting over them is actually to 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 try and tr- try something like meditation you know like move past it and move past uh, right you're 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 you know personalizing everything so so um specifically and moving past your your ego a little bit um again that's those are my totally yeah it's how, yeah. but oh, i'm listening to you and my my experience with therapy has been that yeah you go you dig through the dirt you you think about whatever the dynamics of your family all kinds of things and the purpose of that is that you can then isolate it identify it name it contain it and put it aside and move on so hmm. it seems like what may be happening now with a lot of therapy dynamics is that that second part is lost <laughs> that mm-hmm. that part isn't happening that it's just it's just sitting around talking about your trauma and then trauma in and of itself and then when you bring in this idea of of systemic barriers to mental health you really it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it's it i wonder if like a, a social justice ideology uh, that is rooted in the idea that there is systemic oppression that cannot be transcended. Is that even compatible with any Therapy. kind of mental yeah. health situation? Because you're, yeah. you're by definition, you're saying there's nothing you can do about this. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I'm, I mean, I'm sure people are listening and saying that's not true. You're oversimplifying it. I, yes. Everything is, everything is always being oversimplified yes. when you're, that, <laughs> when that's you're discussing what people are paying for. That's why they listen to us. But yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of really bad therapists out there. Um, yeah. It's a very easy profession to suck at. It's not like being well, a right. surgeon. So why isn't that – exactly. If if we had, you know, surgeons with fail rates as high as some therapists – I think we're going to start to would... see that actually with the way medical school is going. But yeah. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? Like that there's no it – feels, it feels to me that this is – this is uh, very much a subjective field, and so I, I, I am uncomfortable with that situation um, on the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I'm uncomfortable also with with even these vague term terms like trauma. I don't know what it means. Right. I feel like it's overused. Um, and with young people, like I, my again, my I, I like to mention my younger family members. Some of them are listening to this podcast, and they're like. Um, when you were saying my younger blah blah blah, were you talking about me? Oh God! <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah, of course. Well, okay. <laughs> um, um, okay. Uh, yeah. So they they talk about therapy as if it's like everyone should have therapy all the time. Like it's it's just like a it's just like a healthy thing that you do for yourself. Yeah, it's like going to the gym. It's like going to the gym. It's precisely like that. This they talk about it as if it's it's a norm. That's not how. I grew up with it, I guess. I mean, I, I I guess I'm old enough that it wasn't. It was something you went to when you needed. Well, help, you were but... growing up in a different socioeconomic situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't course, think it was the time. It was maybe it was probably. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was the world you were living in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But I I I I I do remember not. I, I don't. I don't remember considering therapy as something that everybody did all the time, and it was just. It was good. It's like you go in for a little tune-up, you know, and it's like to maintain your mental 
health, you go in regularly. That that conception was not one mm-hmm. that I was raised on. And I, I'm not making any claims on what's right or wrong about this. Um, just that it's different. <laughs> than yeah. I yeah. I, I know. I remember being like in my, out of college and living in, in the city and in my first job and yeah, going to therapy for the first time. And it, it felt like a rite of passage. It's like, well, I'm here now. I'm an adult. I live in New York and uh, I I have this gym membership and I have this job and um, what's next on the list? I'm going to go to therapy. Mm. <laughs> but I, I, I was such a, I had no money. I mean, I my job was like, I had an entry level publishing job and no other money whatsoever. So I went to a therapist who had like one year's worth of experience or something. Uh, but I, yeah, like it's very, especially when you're that age, it's very, very hard to know what to place importance on. You have no perspective about your own emotional mm-hmm. patterns or trajectory. Mm-hmm. It's all like right up in your face. It's like a canvas that you can't back up from. The conversation did make me think a lot about just the amount of anxiety that people seem to have in this country. Mm -hmm. I had Mm -hmm. another conversation that touched on this on The Unspeakable with Leslie Beanin, who's a a public health uh, researcher and and expert, and she's written a lot of uh, stuff about COVID policy over the last couple of years. So I have her on The Unspeakable and you know, one of the things that she talks about a lot is just the way that the pandemic laid bare the 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 sheer amount of chronic anxiety that a lot of people seem to live with. There was mm-hmm. um, a, a, people loved. There's a, there's a certain segment of the population that really loved and continues to love wearing masks, loved not going out, loved having an excuse not only to not go out but to be anxious. Yeah. The anxiety was codified. Was turned into something virtuous. Um, and that is something that I, I feel like is worthy of, of exploration. And, and somebody like Dee Bridge, who just thinks, well, that's ridiculous. Um, there's something seductive about that. It is a kind of Jordan Peterson, make your bed, uh, stand up straight and, you know, go out into the sunshine and eat some vegetables kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like there's got to be a happy medium there. Like, I, I feel like we need to start being allowed to have conversations about the irrationality of a certain kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, or, and the self-indulgence of it. I like that. I like that word because I think it, uh, I think it accurately pins at what, what gets, what makes me uncomfortable about so much of this and that it feels, uh, you know, so uh, social media has a lot to do with it, right? Internet has a lot to do with it. Doom scrolling. Have you heard that? Yes, yes, I have heard that that term, Sarah. Please. Yeah, that's the, uh, well. Listen, you you hadn't heard about body count, nor the little mermaid. Presume. We're going to get <laughs> to body count. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I had so heard of the it, Little Mermaid, by the way, guys. I just didn't know the story. Okay. okay, go ahead. Well, you still don't know the story because I didn't tell you. Did, did I tell you? Know, you know, Google is your friend, Sarah. Okay, so you looked it I up. I looked up the story. All, it's like it's basically okay. like it's basically like the same story as anything. Well, it's based on a Hans Christian Andersen tale. It's always like she wants this yeah, prince, like she Disney-fied. wants this guy, and he's not a fish or whatever. Blah blah blah. <laughs> he doesn't live in the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is that's why like an episode like of Sex in the City. She, yeah, she was. Uh, Basically, yeah. No, uh, I mean, it's, it's a beautifully, it was a beautiful, we're not going to talk about this. Anymore, okay, anyway, but. go ahead. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> um, yeah, how much does, 
online quote unquote activism goes into this. Like everybody takes uh, takes it upon themselves to absorb and, and digest as much information as possible. I think that was happening a lot at uh, during the start of COVID, understandably, but then continued for too many people who were just monitoring the latest numbers. Um, what what is Trump doing? What is uh, the you know incoming Biden administration doing? I remember all of this and thinking this is. No, this is not a healthy way to live, but people can't seem to to tear themselves away. And then, in you know, uh, when when all in, in I remember in 2020, this also came up when there were all this social turbulence going on and and protests mm-hmm. and and riots after the protests. Uh, and I remember people were online constantly, and it was clearly driving them crazy. Oh yeah. Clearly, they couldn't, they're crazy. addicted to it. They were addicted to it. They were addicted to the the. It, and so much of it is the the social media, you know, feedback loop that is addictive. But also, if people people have, we have a tendency to view information as empowering because mm-hmm. we've evolved for to be empowered by information. We needed to understand our surroundings, understand what is facing us. It was an evolutionary benefit to to approach information this way, but we're in a world of endless information. Uh, We're in a world where in, you know, what is, what is that statistic about the the one issue of New York times like contains more information than people from whatever century uh, learned. Oh, one, one one edition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, but there's, there's so much and we are simply not, we are not made to be able to absorb this, the 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 just the amount of information that is constantly available to us that we can access at you know just literally going on the front page of of Facebook of 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 Twitter, you will see a news feed and you will get a ton of information, and you don't. It's not actually good for you. Well, especially <laughs> because brain, now you don't know if it's true or not. You don't know if it's true or not. It's not actually that helpful in your day to day life, um, and this is contrary to everyone's assume uh, everyone's um assumption that they don't re- that they tend not to question very much but look back in say the past two years i mean l- let's look back into 2020 what information what news article do you remember reading that you were saying okay i read this and now i'm going to make such and such difference in my life um, and this is a news article that you had to have read it there and you could only find that information out there and you wouldn't have known it in any other way. <laughs> uh, watching no, YouTube videos, wait, watching wait, so- Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein, <laughs> watching the Dark Horse podcast. <laughs> uh, that's where I got my information in early 2020. So truly, you didn't you, you the information you need to know, you will you it will come it will filter down to you through your friends or your family, whatever um, you will find out if you really need to know it. For the most part, you can tune out, and it's not going to actually hurt you. Um, I had a piece I wrote about this uh, on my Substack. I'll link to it about how I'm quitting news. We were just talking about this um, before the before recording the podcast. That I wrote a piece on, uh, you know, just quit, just quitting the news, quitting the con- mm-hmm. the consumption of news, and approaching it in the same way that I approach sugar, in the same way I approach any kind of stup- super stimuli, like as as something that is. Uh, that is that is useful in small quantities, but it is coming to me now in the both quantities and the form of it in a way that my brain simply cannot process. And I have to, you know, look at the world. Okay, I have to look at it and say, 
I can't process this. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not a superhuman. I can't actually do much with this information and it's better just to, just to log off, you know, unsubscribe so from- on a need to know basis. So, but th- these people, these journalists, people with podcasts, a lot of our listeners probably listen to a lot of the podcasts that I'm about to mention, The Fifth Column, Common Sense, all these political analysis shows. The people who are on those podcasts don't seem crazy, mm-hmm. but they're somehow able to follow all of this and metabolize it and have something to say about it. Aren't they crazy? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I Because I sometimes I feel like there's something wrong with my brain. I can't do it anymore. Like I physically can't get the words out to have a type. Like I cannot type the words out onto the screen if I had to have an opinion about something. And I used to be able to do it. I mean, I was never somebody who could do it like on any subject. I, you know, I had my things that I knew much more about than other things, but like, who are these people who are able to do this? Around the clock. I think it's a, yeah, it's a very it's a very small percentage of people who can do this. And I also note, um, and I'm not saying that this is true of uh, the, the podcast that you just mentioned, but I note that a lot of the people who do do this in the regular keep up, keeping up with the horse race, um, with day to day politics, that they often they, they don't they're not the people who make the broad the big theories, you know, or come up with the insights. Um, into what's going on, deeper insights, mm-hmm. because they're they're so focused on the superficial day to day, what's happening now, what's happening last week, um, keeping in you know y- your brain can only handle so much information, and that's what they're focusing on. So they're not fo- they're not able to come up with you know the kind of groundbreaking um, you know analysis, big generalizations, that really changes the, that, yeah, yeah, the, big reductive cha- generalizations that you can write books about. That you're right, you're right. The book, draw the big book conclusions. Stuff, yeah, that, yeah, that, that are. <laughs> Ultimately, you've said nothing, but it felt well, good. Well, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, I think I think the b- books are useful. So I, I, don't, I think it's news that's the problem. Yeah, news specifically because every day you would, you don't need to look at. I, mean, I would I would do a test like read read the New York Times. I I used to do that when I was um when I was younger when I was in college. I used to read the the, the national and politics, the world politics and national politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to do it cover to cover. Wow. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> and I was so informed. Um, I could speak uh, thoughtfully on so many different topics. You know, you would bring up the Somali pirates were big back then. And I knew so much about Somali pirates. <laughs> <laughs> Was the little mermaid swimming around with them? (laughs) I could, no, uh, well, maybe, maybe today. Yeah, today is a new mermaid, little mermaid with them. That that could be a great Little Mermaid Somali pirate edition. Oh my god! Um, yeah, and uh, I, I could name uh, the you know prime ministers or presidents uh, of of almost every country, like the current, and it would, and that made me feel as if I was super empowered, and it made me feel as if I was super informed. A year later, I didn't remember a single thing, <laughs> and none of it was actually used uh, of use to me in my day to day life, other than seeming very intelligent at dinner parties. But you know, so I think I, I think you could give up the news, giving up books, giving up deeper analysis. That's I I don't I'm not saying give those up. I think those no, are deeper useful. analysis is like the the stuff of life. But right. But when you were having when you were reading the the New York Times cover to cover every day, was there something about your brain that was different than it is now? Was there like a plasticity or was there something like physiologically that was allowing you to take this in? 
I only did it for a year. So I don't know if year after year, I think it wears on you in a very different way. Um, but I, I did it for one full year. And uh, well, the stories follow up after each other, right? So so it wasn't, I think I was just forgetting the older stuff. You know, I think my brain wasn't keeping up, keeping things in for months at a time. I think it was forgetting the last month and yeah. moving on and knowing a lot about this month or this past couple of weeks. And we see that happening in news cycles all the time. People seem to forget, you know, a year ago, like what happened a year ago? They don't learn any lessons from anything. Um, and they just pretend as if it hasn't happened because maybe in their brain, it really hasn't. They forgot about it mm-hmm. to make room for all the new information that they have to consume. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've just been, I've been sort of. This is a good thing. Your brain is telling you something good. Just step away from it. Read books instead. <laughs> Your brain is saying it needs a rest. <laughs> it needs a rest. It's telling you, it's giving you a message um, that you should. Uh, yeah. But you then, you know, to. there's the argument because just getting back and actually this is germane. So. The, the idea that you should not let politics obsess you. If there's somebody like Donald Trump in the office, in office, that is just one person. You should not allow your entire mental health to decay because of this one person. Okay. What about the argument that maybe it doesn't affect you and your life, but this person is affecting people who are less privileged. Is he's having harmful, harmful but effects. And isn't you it your job? Okay. Well that maybe, maybe we are supposed to do something about it because look, I, I mean, I've been thinking about this. What happens if Donald Trump gets reelected? That's, mm. that's entirely possible at this point. I mean, so they're bringing people <laughs> into count votes that are, <laughs> that are Trump, you know, that are, there are people who really believe the election was stolen. It's like this, if that happens, okay. If, if Donald Trump is reelected president, I feel like I'm just going to have no choice but to shut that part of my brain down and stop seeing my life as having any relationship to government or civic life. Like everyone mm-hmm. is just going to have to sort of burrow into their own individual existences. And isn't that just profoundly selfish? It would be selfish if there was something you knew that you could do, you know, and, and I think it go out there and freak out. <laughs> everybody has yeah, a I duty mean, i don't think that i don't think that even the marchers without a clear without a clear plan of action without a clear understanding of of what was actually at play the the remember the pussy hat people uh the women's march what did they do what did they accomplish you know it's, they it's, would say it's, it made them feel better okay they it, would say why are you yeah, down on the pussy hat? but like it's that makes me feel better it makes me feel like i'm not alone it makes me feel like i'm doing something how dare you criticize this one gesture that's not hurting you that makes me feel like you know a little bit more empowered. ultimately it doesn't it, it only makes you feel overpowered empowered because you, you are surrounded by this just avalanche of of depressing knowledge that you don't need and can't do anything about so you do something to feel mildly empowered in that moment but it is only a feeling and it is not reality i think that there there is information that can actually empower you you know if you feel but but but, but we are one human <laughs> and you can't be empowered uh, about everything you can't know enough about everything to actually do something well you can pick a thing, you know, you can say there's this activist I follow on Twitter. I really like her. Um, her name is Isabel and I'm going to butcher her last name. I'm not even going to say it actually. Um, but she, she does this activism thing. She's called ISO dope. She's focusing all of her energies on, on getting the word out about nuclear power. 
Hmm. And she knows a lot about, about how it's good. About how, how we need good. more of it. Yeah. We need to build. Yeah, we need to build more Surprise, nuclear. People, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people don't know this. No, people I don't know, know this. And, know. And, and and there's too much. You know, H- HBO is coming out with all these Ugh. you know shows that are scaring people half to death, and they think that they're informed now because they watched it. Um, but it, she's she's focusing on. She's she's thinking I can inform myself about this. I can know what I'm talking about. I can you know I can know the players. I can know the lever that I need to pull. You can do that with your one life. You simply can't inform yourself about everything that the news has to give you. You know, I can I share something from my piece? I pulled it up. Please. This is very, um, uh, so I, I said, imagine yourself transported back into the circus of the 2016 presidential election. Um, hellish idea, I know, but stay with me. In this alternative timeline, events stayed exactly the same, but you have behaved differently. Donald Trump has been elected POTUS to the surprise of all, especially Donald Trump. You are alarmed, but impossible as it may be to imagine. You do not respond to the alarm by gluing yourself to the drama playing out in the news every hour of every day. You do not read the literally thousands of articles alleging Russian collusion for years on end. You do not watch hours and hours of Rachel Maddow's emotive fulminations, nor the indignant sputtering of Tucker Carlson, nor anyone else covering every twist and turn of politics as if they were a spectator sport. You never hear about the legions of actors who turn up and then disappear in the revolving door that was the Trump administration, nor the endless dubious comments made by Trump family members and affiliates, including anyone named Stormy. You do not know much (laughs) about a P-tape, and good thing, too, as it turned out to be a fabrication. Instead, you read the sources directly, the impeachment resolutions as they roll out, the Barr letter, the Mueller report, or even just the executive summaries and factual results of the investigation. You wait for the investigators to conclude their research and do not engage in much speculation. Now that election time is here again, you must decide how to vote, and you wisely continue to ignore the news in order to inform yourself of the issues and the candidates you go to their websites directly reading their value Mm. propositions and policy proposals you may dig deeper to some issues you care about more than others so you research how the candidates have previously acted or voted on these issues and whether they have made any promises for the future blah 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 maybe you watch a campaign speech or two or the debates in this alternative universe are you less meaningfully informed have you missed anything truly important in your day-to-day life or have you saved yourself time, energy, sanity? Um, are you? Do you feel you know in this alternative and inter- alternative timeline? Are you mm-hmm. better informed or or less informed? So obviously, it's all well. That's very well said. To- that that's very well said. But <laughs> what kind of person is actually able going going to be able to pull that off? A very very high functioning, high discipline uh, person who's able to even ferret out good information versus bad. So the news is almost always bad information. Okay. So I would, because when I was listening to you first, I thought, okay, well you could read, um, let's just say the New York times, you could read the New York times cover to cover every day. And that would be enough or is even that too much and putting aside the bias or lack of bias of the New York times. Well, no, why would you want to eat? But because the news is not, it's, Here's so the problem with the news. Okay. The news, the news is there's so much about. Say, let's just pick pick the science section of of any even even a prestigious um, outlet like the New York Times. Um, you're gonna have oh, this study finds blah blah blah, you know, and you you read a little bit about it, and a year later that study is debunked. You know, the, the, it fails to replicate. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear about that. <laughs> there's, you think you're informed because you read that one thing. 
you didn't read about it in detail. You remember that one article that one time that said that one thing, but you, 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 you might store a vague hint of it in your brain somewhere, thinking yourself slightly better informed, but you're not. It's a, you know, it's an illusion that you are, that you know something about mm-hmm. um, this one new science, scientists find out that blah, 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 whatever. Um, the, the, the corrections don't get published. And then when you look into it, and I covered this in my piece a little bit, I'm going to make it public. It's, it's behind the play. Yeah, really? Why are you, you guys? Yeah. But <laughs> um, in, in my piece, I talk about how, you know, I read this book from this, this man, John, I think it's John Zada. Um, but he wrote this book about, he, he was a um, news producer um, for, but he, he did uh, like broadcast news. He did like breaking news. He did produce a lot of those um, in his, in his lifetime. And he talks about kind of the, the sausage making process of creating, you know, the uh, uh, breaking news. And it's just, it's so like, when you read about it and how it's actually, how reporters are actually collecting this information, is it really what the, the important thing that you need to know, or is it just that they, they, <laughs> you know, they have to find something to cover the, cover this time. Um, they can't tell the difference between what is new and what is important, you know, and I don't think we right. can any longer tell the difference between what is new and what but is important. It, and yeah. the average journalist is not qualified to understand that distinction because they are not experts. They've been pulled into politics, you know, covering the politics beat and they're like 23. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what's important. Well, it's like baseball what? statistics <laughs> to them. It is. It, right. I think it's like a very horse race kind of baseball stat kind of sensibility right right so you just have uh, even the the news making process should make you feel very uncomfortable and and feel feel as if you don't have a lot of trust in the in in what is coming to you not just in its accuracy but whether it's worth knowing at all you know because the people who are who are doing the filtering they don't they're not experts anymore they're no, I know. How much of it is a social media problem? Because people were also sounding this alarm when 24 yeah, hour yeah, yeah. news cable I think came the along. Addiction, I think the addiction is exacerbated by social media, but it, it became a problem, right? It became a problem with cable news. It became a problem when we started, when it started becoming this kind of 24 hours all the time. We have to produce. We have to find. Yeah, something. I mean, just the. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a whole other subject. Just the the tyranny of content. Just the churn is. Uh, it's going to kill us. I mean, it's forget just you know the creators. It's bad. It's that's really bad. But even just having to consume it. So so really, and we should probably move off this off this topic in a second. But if okay, so if social media and cable news were taken away, the would the state that you just described be? at our fingertips. What do you mean? Sorry. Well, would it be, so what would it take to be, to live this kind of life? Like, do you imagine that before CNN, people were just watching Walter Cronkite every night and that? I think it's to recognize, I think it's to recognize that it is what, what you're doing with your news consumption is, is political hobbyism. It is, it is not quote unquote informing yourself in a useful way. Um, there are other ways to inform yourself that actually are useful, that actually will be a benefit to you and to the causes you care about, if indeed that that is wh- why you're doing it. Um, it's to understand what it's doing to you, kind of what we're doing with sugar, you know, kind of what yeah. we're starting to understand with fats. We're starting to see it as just too much for our brains to handle. It's not really 
accepting, like I, I said in my piece that the challenge isn't accepting the flaws in the news industry. It is also accepting our own limitations. Um, you know, we, we have to learn not just how to access the information and not just how to better analyze or synthesize it, but when to tune it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, and it's really important that you have one issue that you're singularly focused on. I think you would agree. And for us, that issue is gender. Really, the only thing anybody should be thinking about at any time that is, is such a great gender, transition. Gender ideology. I'm, I'm well, amazed. I mean, I do you have this? I, my Twitter algorithm it knows what you know knows what you want. Oh, yeah. So it's nothing but gender because so now I'm going like, wow, this is really the tide is really turning. Like this is gonna this is gonna explode any day. Like everyone's gonna catch on, and you know because that's all anybody's talking about ever ever ever. It's like no, that's just what you're feed is showing you because mm-hmm. it knows that that's what you click. So, um, but we did have a pretty, uh, pretty groundbreaking news. Speaking of news article, uh, come out today, actually we're recording this on October 7th, uh, Reuters of all places that most vanilla of news organizations published a pretty spectacular overview of what is actually happening uh, in gender youth medicine. And for the first time, published actual numbers with respect to who is getting surgeries, what age, how many surgeries, genital surgeries, as well as top surgery, mastectomies, that kind of thing. Um, And it's pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it was long. There was a lot. Going uh, it was on. TLDR for you. Yeah. Um, why don't you? TLDR I, I inhaled for our it. I, yeah. Look, if you care about the subject enough, you should just be able to swallow a piece like this in one gulp. It's like, <laughs> mwah, mwah. I was smacking my lips. Um. Uh. Yeah. Well. So we talked last time about the W Path, which is the World Professional uh, Association for Transgender Health. Did we? Yeah, we did. I'm conflating this because I I had Colin Wright on my other podcast. Yeah. And so they had their annual conference and they had come out with guidelines about what is appropriate care for uh, kids identifying as trans. And so this affirmative care model, which means that you sort of let the kid take the lead and, um, you know, not necessarily uh, allow for a, a, a comprehensive assessment before starting things like puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones. Um, basically, all these medical organizations are endorsing this affirmative care approach. And another amazing thing is that officials uh, have been saying that these surgeries simply don't happen. And mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. we know that that's not true. And I have been guilty of this myself in the, you know, in my attempts not to be hysterical about this and really check myself. I have um, asserted that the actual in actual cases of people under 18 getting surgery are, are vanishingly rare. And it turns out that that is not the case. Okay. So I'm just going to read a paragraph from, from this article says genital surgeries performed on minors are rare, but surgeons say interest is growing. Um, There's an analysis of insurance claims uh, regarding surgery. So it was found that 56 genital surgeries, including vaginoplasty and other procedures uh, took place among patients 13 to 17. And those patients had prior 
gender dysphoria diagnosis from 2019 to 2021. Okay, so that means that from 2019 to 2021, which is not very much time, there were 56 genital surgeries performed on patients between the ages of 13 and 17. Now, notably, that does not include surgeries not covered by insurance. So there have to be, I mean, it's got to be four or five times that many, considering the number of kids you see setting up GoFundMes right. so they can get top surgery. Right. It's not, it's not including, yeah, it's not including top surgeries, just genital surgeries. Um, right. Yeah. We're not even talking about top surgeries. We're not talking about so, top surgeries. So, the, and so, so 56, you could say that's a pretty small number. Well, for, <laughs> we're talking general, about people getting their surgeries. penises removed. Right, right. General surgeries are extremely invasive, and they're risky. They're highly, highly, highly risky. Um, There are, and this article notes it, which is great. This is what I liked about this article, that they were very, they were more honest, a lot more honest about what's actually at stake, which is the the extremely high rates of of complications. Um, And they noticed that complications of general surgeries are common. A California study found that a quarter of 869 vaginoplastic patients from a mean age of 39 had surgical complications so severe that they had to be hospitalized again. So, you know, not a quarter, it's not a quarter had complications. It's a quarter had complications that were so severe that they had to be hospitalized. Yeah. You know, so there's no, I mean... Uh, um, among those patients, forty among the the hospitalized patients, forty four percent needed additional surgery to address the, address the complication, which included bleeding and bowel injuries. This and uh, these are adults. <laughs> these yeah. are adults who 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 can fully understand what they what they are doing. Who can also uh, who can also deal with the post surgical like post op care in a way that children can't <laughs> and the children it, 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 you can't expect them to be able to handle uh, themselves in the same way and they don't have growing bodies in the same way either um there's just uh i mean it's extremely eye opening yeah yeah it's this is happening to very very young kids and yeah no we have somebody like Rachel Levine who's the assistant secretary uh, at the Department of Health and Human Services, who is uh, ex-military and herself transgender, she has repeatedly insisted that there is no argument other than that this is life-saving. She told NPR, there's no argument among medical professionals, pediatricians, pediatric oncologists, adolescent medicine physicians, adolescent psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., about the value and importance of gender-affirming care. So, I mean, this is so squishy because what are you going to call gender affirming care? I, yeah. So I, I guess like it's a lie. It's, that, it's, that, I mean, she's it's, wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She's, and there's, there's tons and tons of disagreement and it's not by, it's by no means just coming from people on the right. And this idea that this is some kind of um, right wing attempt to like keep kids from being themselves. There's so much conflation with the gay civil rights movement. It's, it's maddening. It is absolutely maddening. And even though this article, I had some quibbles, it, it, it used the phrase um, uh, uh, sex assigned at birth. Uh, it, it used that just yeah, uh, in passing. Um, so, right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I will say that the, the main child featured in the story was somebody who had had very, very, very early gender dysphoria, some, a biological male that had been identifying as female like since before they could speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so they followed this person's trajectory and getting on puberty blockers and hormones. And, you know, that I think that's a story worth telling, but that's not stories like that are not the reason that we are talking about this issue today. There's an entire subset that has appeared that is having either rapid onset dysphoria or dysphoria that did not emerge uh, since they were one years old. So like, I just, there's so much confusion about the way we talk about this and an almost willful um, refusal to, to get it right. 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 (sighs) I, well, even this person, um, the the uh, this person was the center of um, I can't pronounce this name. Yeah, there's R Y A C E. Yeah, there was there was a a a, a note of how to pronounce. You it. You know, Sarah, I, that's a microaggression to mispronounce that person's oh, name. Oh, I found so it. We're gonna have a Rias. Rias. Rias is the name. Okay. There's uh, the article fo- follows Rias and Rias is journey um from and and yeah as you as you know this is a very feminine person um and you know ever since they were like four years old they'd reverse uh, refer to themselves as a girl so now they're she her her pronouns and transitioning and they follow rias (laughs) um through getting gender affirming care um but it's never once I mean, did you see it? Because I, 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 it was quite a long article. But was there any discussion about how maybe this is just a very feminine person who would grow up to be a gay man? No. Um, I just like, think we can't know. I mean, so I think this is where you and I part ways a little bit. I do think that there's a very, in very, very, very rare cases, the dysphoria is such that the only way to resolve it is to medically surgically trans- transition and then the problem comes <laughs> you could do you shouldn't do this on children but then of course the problem is if you make them go through a puberty that does not align with their identity it's going to be hard to pass and i can imagine that that's excruciating so yeah so there is well, that. you don't know if you are no, i, I you do don't. agree that there are some adults who are so hyper you know adult males yeah, who it's, are it's so hyper feminine well, that it yeah that that this is it is better and easier and more comfortable for them to live as women to look like women to date you know straight men and to have the social role and everything i understand that and i i i am you know good for them to get get whatever you need uh, to make yourself happy but we don't know if that if this child is necessarily in that plate because there are a lot of gay men who can look back and say that I liked dresses and pink and and stickers. Right. And if you were also if you were also in an environment where being trans was a viable option, where if you said, Mom, I want to be a girl, your mom started wondering whether maybe you really were a girl, you know, and and indulged you in that language, maybe you would think of yourself as as, you know, trans today and but you wouldn't have 20 years ago. You would have just been like a hyper feminine boy who would grow up to be a gay man that is comfortable in his male body. I don't, yeah. it's not clear. It's not clear where anybody necessarily lands. And, and and as transition becomes more normalized, we will see more and more just gender non-conforming kids, but, but, but largely pe- kids who would grow up to be gay, gay adults, yeah. you know, gays and lesbians who will fall into this, who will be, who will go into, uh, into, medical transition at a very, very young age, which of course, doing it as an adult is one thing, doing it as a child, 
is a very different thing. Um, and there's so much the issues of consent that this article uh, laudably brings up a couple of times. Um, there is a, a clinician when they're discussing um, the cross sex hormones that Rias, <laughs> Rias, right? Mm-hmm. I, did, I said it right. Um, the Rias uh, uh, gets um, it, it has to take in order to continue their journey. There was a professional that brings up, uh, you know, like imagine yourself when you're 35. And what would you want? And maybe you'll want kids of your own. And Raya says something like, you know, I'll adopt. Yeah, and I have a friend yeah. who says that they'll have kids for me and it'll be oh, yeah. it'll be fine. But that's the kind of dismissal that you can do when you're a kid and you don't you don't know anything about this. And you're just like, it's fine. I'll adopt, you know, at 11 and 12. This is this makes this is fine. It's easy to dismiss wanting to be an actual biological parent. Um it's and and what the clinician tries to do is 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 to get Rias to imagine herself as uh, as thirty five. She can't do that. She literally can't do that. You can't ask a child to do that. You won't get an answer that makes any kind of sense. You'll just make yourself feel better uh, about you know uh, about this being a consensual thing. Yeah. But they can't they can't actually provide consent. This is a decision that's being made by the parents. Yeah, and I just I'm getting more and more really, really exasperated with the way that uh, people truly, truly believe this is the same thing as talking about gay rights. I know I just said that a few minutes ago, but I just think that it is urgent that we help otherwise people, people of good faith and good intentions try to understand the difference. So mm-hmm. um, our old friend, John Stewart, <laughs> who's um, uh, really uh, ha- having an illustrious uh, second career here. He, um, he of course, uh, has, is back on the scene. He has a podcast called The, the Problem with Jon Stewart. He already um, made a complete clown of himself with a conversation about uh, race uh, several weeks ago. Um, he uh, An episode just dropped that had to do with gender, and I don't even know where to start. I, I honestly... I'm going to play a little little clip of it. Um, the, at one point, he has a panel discussion with a whole bunch of people, including Chase Strangio from the ACLU. But this is a conversation with um, a Leslie Rutledge, who's the attorney general of Arkansas, and he's grilling her old-fashioned daily show style about why her state is so backwards and why she's allowing this the legislation that... Um, prevents what we're calling affirmative care uh, to to take place. So I'm just going to play this clip. Why would the state of Arkansas step in to override parents, physicians, psychiatrists, endocrinologists who have developed guidelines? Why would you override those guidelines? Well, I think it's important that all of those physicians, all of those experts, for every single one of them, there's an expert that says, we don't need to allow children to be able to take those medications. That there are many instances right. where- But you know that's not true. You, you know it's not for everyone there's one. There's, these are the established- Well, I don't know that, that that's not true. I don't know that- Then why, you would, you, why would you pass a law then if you don't? If you don't know that that's true, wouldn't you? Well, I know that there are doctors and that we had plenty of people come and testify before our legislature Mm -hmm. who said that, uh, you know, we have 98% of the young people who have gender dysphoria 
right. uh, that they are able to move past that. And once they have the, the help that they need, no longer suffer from gender dysphoria, 98% wow. without uh, that medical treatment. That's, that, an, that's an, so, an incredibly made up figure. Okay. Sarah, are you still there? Did you yeah. have to walk away? I, yeah, sadly, I'm here. I, you know, I'm sorry that this woman has a Southern accent. I'm sorry that when she says things like move past it, it sounds like fundamentalist preachers of yore saying that you can pray the gay away. That's not what this is. That woman yeah. is 100% correct. Yeah, yeah. And he was being a condescending ass the whole time. The whole, I just, mean, there's a full interview and it's just, it's outrageous. Utterly incurious. You know, I was listening to this and I'm thinking, I'm asking this in all sincerity. I wonder if Jon Stewart has a trans identifying kid because he comes across as a parent who is scared and has bought into this, uh, bought into this ideology out of fear yeah. And is defending it uh, within an inch of his life. He could very, I mean, he could very well have a trans-identifying person in their family. That's pretty. That's but the, the chances enough, are right? chances are good. Yes. Yeah, chances are good that 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 especially in John Stewart's, you know, Mil- uh, social circle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, million. Mil- <laughs> 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 um, you know, especially you know where where he's from. Um, uh, and the circles he runs it. I'm sure. Well, even though he lives on a trends. farm, yeah. he lives on a farm now. So obviously, D Bridge, <laughs> D Bridge from Grand Junction, Colorado, would say, "Get out on a farm and, you know, be yeah. with animals and grow your own vegetables." But it's not working for John Stewart. No, but uh, but it, it's yeah. I, I was he always like this? No. See, this is the other thing. This reminds me of when I was playing those NPR clips a, a few weeks ago and saying like, "Oh my gosh, we weren't crazy. NPR was good." And we, we shouldn't like beat ourselves up for having been such suckers. No, something has changed. Um, the, the Daily Show was, I mean, I know a lot of people who hate it for various reasons, but I thought it was, it was brilliant in its way. I thought Stephen Colbert was even more brilliant. I thought Colbert was more brilliant. I loved the Colbert yeah. Report. I, 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 I often skipped over the Daily Show, mm-hmm. actually, to get to the Colbert Report. Um, but now I can't stand Stephen no. Colbert. Well, none of them. I mean, it. it's just a- absolute milk toast. But yeah. Stuart, I, I, my jaw is on the floor, yeah. and I'm so angry. And I guess the good news is that his ratings are like nothing to speak of. I think Blocked and Reported has more listeners uh, to their podcast than he does. So it's, I, but. It's just so cavalier. It is so glib. It's offensive. And the problem is that he has uh, the Arkansas Attorney General uh, sitting here saying what she's going to say instead of somebody who will say, John, I know that you are confused and I know you really think this is about something other than what it is. But what you need to understand is that there's something else going on here. You need yeah. to understand that. And that I'm tell as somebody, somebody needs to say, I am on the left. I am on your side. I've got gay people in my family. I mean, Andrew Sullivan did say this. That he you is are gay. Mu- you are misunderstanding. And yeah. you are, you and are it is essential that you understand that this issue is actually homophobic. These, these kids, a lot of them are gay yeah. and they have decided that it's easier to be 
transgender than to be gay. And that is something that we have to look at. Yeah. And and when you're that young, it is. It is easier. You know, it is easier for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy before they go through the medical transition process to just say, say I'm a girl. And for and people that come from conservative backgrounds, it's easier for some of them to understand that this is actually just a girl or a boy. Nonconformity is harder for many people. I mean, it, I, I right. don't know if we brought up in this podcast, but in in Iran, there's they're fairly accepting of trans people they're extremely unaccepting <laughs> yeah because they're not there's gays a, and lesbians oh yeah they is it true that in iran the government will actually pay for gender reassignment surgery yeah because it's illegal it. to be gay yeah you can't be gay you can't be gay but for for uh, th- there was some reason that the ayatollah specifically is accepting of of uh, the, the first ayatollah was accepting of transition but it it, it it fits into their worldview of binaries that you're actually right. either wholly and truly in your soul, a girl or a boy. And we must correct the mistake that nature made chemically and medically and whatever, uh, and, and get you to where, uh, to, to a place where you can fit in with the rest of us. Again, mm-hmm. gays and lesbians and non-conforming people in general, they don't fit well into this mold. And they're the people who are being wiped out, um, by this idea of trans kids. Yeah. And I just, the more and more I see, I can hear it in their voices. I can, people that I know, they really, really think that we're having the same conversation we were having back in the eighties about gay people. Yeah. And they have to, we have to find a way to make this clear because it's not their fault. I don't even blame them. Like talk about not following the issue. Well, (laughs) it's like, if you're not following this closely, I can see why you would think that. I can't, I can't, I I can't. I mean, I, I see. So I, I appreciate your, empathy I'm trying to be charitable and you're and yeah yes. and you're charitable i i appreciate it and i i think maybe you are probably you're probably right for some percentage of people um but i think for for many more there's just this complacency you know of going along to get along yes we're watching what happened with gay rights but we're sort of looking at it in the wrong way, you know, rather than presuming this is the same thing, you don't want to be caught on the wrong end of it. So you're just going mm. along uh, in order to not be that person who wasn't accepting um, when when the time called for it. So I, I think there's a lot of it is social conformity. Um, a lot of it is fear of speaking out. I think that there's so much of that. There, there, in my private conversations, people will acknowledge so much more skepticism, you know, skepticism that would get them banned from Twitter, were they to be open about it? And this is the, I think it's the norm, you know, the norm liberal opinion, the norm progressive opinion is actually, you know, is actually considered harmful enough in, in extremist circles enough that it can get you banned from certain platforms. You know, there's, there are not many people, even among liberals, even among progressives, who would worry so much about dead naming, who would worry so much about, you know, here's here's somebody who tra- identifies as a woman and 
you know, it, this person puts on a wig and lipstick, you know, two days ago um, and goes on a bunch, rapes a bunch of women. And now we have to, you know, but now they're identifying as a woman. So now we have to respect their pronouns. There's not many people who actually feel like we have to respect this person's pronouns. You know, in, well, there in, are people, the, but they, the quote, they quote, must be life. on John Stewart's staff. Yeah. See, this yeah. is the thing. If John Stewart has always taken his cues from the twenty-somethings on his staff, is it possible that when we were watching The Daily Show, we were just more aligned with those people? I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Since, but and it was. But I, I, yeah. It's possible. I, but I think I don't know. I feel. I I I really do think that he just hasn't he hasn't kept up with the times, and it's I. I I I, I have a, to believe that the Daily Show was smarter than than we're we're worried we're now worried that it wasn't. I think that to the extent that Daily Show was maybe correct and good, it had more to do with what was going on in that time. Yeah, it was all about George W. Bush. Of, yeah, and the environment of the of the of the two thousands, the early two thousands, and the wars, the Iraq War. Yeah. I mean, it, there was so much more. It was it was more clear, I guess. Um, what was going on and what needed to what needed to stop. But, but I, I think in that environment, the tools that he had uh, to 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 approach this these issues th- those issues were the g- correct tools and good tools. And at that time, what we needed, you know, mm-hmm. we needed levity and we needed somebody to pierce through these officials. And point who out were, the absurdity. That's what's it, so maddening. He he was all about pointing out people's hypocrisies and the absurdity. But those tools don't And now he's work perpetuating <laughs> yeah. both of those things. Yeah. The, these, w- w- he's trying to apply those same tools, but on the... On the one hand, some of those tools can't you can't you can't actually have this lighthearted approach that we were able to have with the Colbert Report. Make fun of everyone, you know, make fun of ourselves, sort of approach our own politics in this lighthearted way. This is not okay anymore. So you're 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 going into it with this mindset of 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 a preacher. Well, the humorless. Yeah, I mean, the humor has been stripped away. So he's not funny anymore. No, I, like well, nothing, nothing about this episode is this. Uh, is he supposed to be funny? Is this, I don't know. Is this... So yeah, that's a question. So is he not allowed? Are they not allowed to be funny because of like political correctness? Like nobody's funny, or is are we just is yeah? I mean, so yeah, I, I, you can't make light of these. Things. So basically, you can't make light yeah, of yourself. We've, we've taken <laughs> co- comedic com- comedy personalities and said you you're gonna you need to stay relevant, but you, you can't do comedy anymore. so i mean i guess you're watching somebody try to do his job with uh, you know his hands tied behind his back and his feet tied together like maybe poor him Uh, but uh, (laughs) to some i mean he was so he was speaking that he was he was telling us the truth through comedy you know right and now he's just trying to tell us the truth truth quote unquote as he sees it without comedy you know and i think that that was that that comedic approach was very important for him to be able to see things in that clear-eyed way yeah. that he was. I mean, you know who's doing to. what he used to do on the Daily Show is Matt Walsh. <laughs> Matt Walsh's right. "What Is a Woman" is the Daily Not Show. Bad. That is that, for our time. It, it is so sad because he's not smart enough no. to do what John Stewart no. was able to do at all. So we're just getting a real dumb. Can you imagine what of- John Stewart <laughs> could have done with those gender clinicians and. Um, he, and people, people who that Matt Walsh was interviewing, that would right, have just that been initial staff <laughs> of 
you know, Daily Show. I mean, at that at the peak of the Daily Show and the writers that were on board, or the Colbert Report people, there were um, that that was even I was I I think the Colbert Report people. Oh, I thought the Colbert was a tour de force. I, I it, it was amazing. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, I loved, I loved, loved the Colbert Report, um, and it's so sad to see these men reduced to preachers and Samantha B, not just men and and Samantha B. Oh. That's right. They're all they've all they've all gone down. Uh, I thought she Wyatt was great. Snack, see again, them, I'm like crazy. Like I never thought Wyatt Snack was funny. He was never that funny, but he's gotten worse. Um, Samantha um, B. I a, actually did think was funny, and so now I question myself. Who was the person who took on for a while? He had. He, oh, there was Asif Mondi was very funny. Yeah, he was. Is he still around? I don't know. See, he, I, I feel like we don't hear from him. He might be behind the scenes being like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Maybe we yeah. should talk to him. Uh, yeah, well, there was um, uh, the official black correspondent. Who was that? Um, yeah, I forgot his name. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. W something Wilson. I don't, know. I don't know. No. Oh, my God. Sorry. We're going to have to pull that up. But. Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore. Yeah, I knew it was I knew it was W something. I was I was saying Wilson. That was close. <laughs> Wilmore. Yeah, I know what it's this so is ra- close. Whatever this is, is this racist. Is ra- of course it's racist. Of course it's racist. This whole podcast is racist. This discussion is racist. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah. He's he was funny on the Daily Show and then he got his own show and he was horrible. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. Um and I remember I said that on Twitter. I was like, this isn't funny. He's preaching. And I, that was my that was one of my first like real like controversial like you're not supposed <laughs> to say that Sarah like kind of wow. tweets um yeah well, well now I'm ball. full Nazi not, yeah. not, <laughs> knocking Larry Wilmore that's uh, yeah. third rail uh yeah I don't know I'm really really upset with John Stewart I'm just I he's just know. a shadow of him for, and they don't know but none of them know what to do anymore with this right how these, hard is it older he's white actually men not that to... you know what though he's he's not that much older than i am i'm sorry there's no excuse he's not no, 70 so he, years he's, old he's he has this reputation of being a certain kind of person and in it, what you need right now a truth teller is somebody who's able to able and willing to take risks with their reputation destroy everything you know burn it all in 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 favor of a good joke or you know saying the truth about something and a lot of these big guys who have made it they can't they can't do it too much to lose too see this is the problem with all these like these comedians sarah silverman and amy schumer i think the stakes are just too high tina fey even you know i actually here's the unsayable thing here's like the thing i you can't say i never thought tina fey was funny I never Ooh. thought 30 Rock was funny. <gasps> I don't think she's funny. Oh, my God. I no. like 30 Rock. I know everybody I mean, does. it wasn't like, I was never like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I mean, never, ever have I laughed out loud at anything Tina Fey has well, said Well, so done. then that's but, not funny. I, d- I but, think that does not bode well. But it was, it was well. good. It was, well, I didn't laugh at the, uh, the office either. Oh, my God. Out loud, I laugh out loud at stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah, but I... I Really? So I don't, I actually don't laugh out loud oh, that often, oh especially God. when I'm by, I'm by myself. Somebody once told me that that was creepy. I was like, I don't know what's creepy about uh, it. But anyway, I laugh out loud at my other. own jokes when I'm, when I'm writing stuff. <laughs> Back when I actually wrote stuff that was joke worthy. I'm imagining you. I'm imagining oh, yeah. you. Just, <laughs> when I was writing my novel, when I was writing my novel, The Quality of Life Report, I was falling out of my chair laughing like throughout. <laughs> So okay, that is mm-hmm. um, and I, and I like and for that. good reason. That's, 
because it's very it was funny um (laughs) um yeah but they never made me like laugh out loud laugh out loud but i i i always enjoyed it i thought she was clever she understood something um and and it was often pretty 30 rock was pretty edgy you know like it would it it i'm watching it now it's like this is all this is this is all cancelable. Every joke, yeah. every you know, every take. You can't say this anymore. You can't say I that mean, anymore. I didn't you watch can't it say the other thing say. anymore. Yeah. Okay. I yes. She actually removed some episodes from. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, just because they were there was one where they were doing somebody did blackface, oh, yeah. and she removed that. And I was like, that was a hilarious episode because the black guy and the so the black guy play, uh, played by Tracy Morgan. Um, and uh, the the white woman, if there were both stars in the show, were having an argument of who has it worse, women or black people. And so they traded places, quote unquote, and she went in blackface and became a man. And and he became he he did the the white girl, the, you know, the movie. Remember where those black guys put on wigs and so, wigs oh, and so, became white girls. <laughs> oh, hot chicks. Is that hot, hot chicks? chicks uh, yeah, well, there's yeah, also yeah. Soul Man, some... which is a classic of the genre. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. So he did he did that basically. He he and and he pretended to be a white woman. I mean, it was horrifying. He looked horrifying. She looked ridiculous. It was very funny. It was a mm-hmm. funny episode. Um, and and yeah, she took it down. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it so I think that's what's good. Like we we have nothing to lose. We have no power, money, status. So we can just talk all we want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, <sighs> but it's just such a I boring just, yeah. way to live. I, it's that's a, how can John Stewart live with himself? I mean, I, I hope I, he has I don't a think nice he has life. Any other option. He has no other option. He's surrounded, you know, what? I, I think there, there are people in, in the circles that he's in. Everybody he knows thinks the same exact way about everything. They read all the same New York Times articles. They don't read anything else. Really, they don't listen to. Po- they're not. They're not. They're not secret. They're, they're listening to <laughs> they're this podcast. To- but can you imagine if somebody like John Stewart just threw down and he said, "You know what? Enough of this bullshit. I'm going to talk the truth now." And and just like well, he, joined our Dave space. Chappelle, it would. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. He, uh, he'd be on you know. fire. Dave Chappelle's on fire. He's yeah. actually, I mean, I mean, his last episode, uh, his last uh, special, I don't know. He's getting too close to the trans thing. I think he needs to move away. He feels, he seems like he's very hurt over the the things and bad names people are calling him and yeah. stuff. But, but still, uh, Dave Chappelle was back in the news. You know, he's back. People are talking about what he has to say. Same with Ricky Gervais because they're being bold. You know, they're, they're continuing to point at the absurdity and say, this is absurd. Um, and I'm going to laugh at this. And Tina Fey can't do that anymore. John Stewart can't do that anymore. Um, I don't know. I think with the gender thing, it's like I said before, I suspect that a lot of these people have somebody in their family, at least one, who's caught up in this and is dealing yeah. with this. And yeah. they're protective. It's yeah. it's a very natural instinct. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I would probably have a lot more people in my life like that if they talked to me. I'm I have friends, I'm sure, yeah. probably more than I even realize who are going through this with their kids and yeah. those people stay away from me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean there's a it feeds on itself kind of thing. And it, it, so this happened with the gay rights movement and this is where I'm going to draw a parallel and it's true but it, uh, if 
you know, I, I when, when I was um, in my work thinking about, okay, what can, you know, ex-Muslims do to make apostasy, like just make leaving, just not being religious, like normalize it a little bit. I would read about the gay rights movement and their successes and their approaches and what worked and what didn't work. So I was a little obsessed about, you know, finding, finding parallels that mm-hmm. I could apply into my own work. And a big one was just coming out um, will help destigmatize. Everybody kind of knows this, but it's actually it's actually so important. It's the most important thing that people are coming out, telling their friends and family. You get a little bit of you get flack for it, obviously, um, but that is how the movement changes. If enough if enough people start coming out because their friends and family now there's all these studies about this, the their friends and families become more sympathetic yeah, it's and more approving, right? And more approving of things like gay marriage if they know uh, a gay person, you know, so this, this, it actually does, it has a huge impact on people. We're social animals and we want to be supportive of the people in our lives, but this could apply to anything, including negative things and harmful things, you know, uh, things that are uh, not good to participate in things that really should be maybe stigmatized, but you don't want to stigmatize them or, uh, you don't want to critically analyze it because now it's an identity, yeah. um, that you, you can't touch anymore. But this one um, is hard because what are we saying? And until so until the, everybody knows a detransitioner, this is going to keep until going. everyone knows a detransitioner. But also th- that that's there's some there's there's so much of the information that's thrown at you that is misleading. And yeah. this this article that we we discussed it covers some of it, right? It talks about the difficulties of transition, about the negative impacts of trans of medical transition on developing young bodies, about how much we don't know about cognitive you know development and and this is what drives me crazy because i go to the pediatrician all the time and there's a million things going on with kids and they don't know a million things right and they're very they're perfectly aware of this when when it comes to any other issue they'll say you know there's a lot we don't know right and there's a lot there's just a lot of work that still needs to be done i mean of course the pediatrician knows so much more than the average parent who's who has google but even they know a tiny fraction of what there is to know about child development given that we have this knowledge of of our own of our own ignorance that we apply in so many other places how, why aren't we applying it to puberty? Yeah. You know, the biggest developmental, like, like shift because, that happens yeah. in a human life. Because the people controlling the conversation are people with mental health problems. This is the thing. The people who are the loudest about this are the people who either have a bunch of mental health issues and a trans identity factors into it to one degree or another. I am not saying that transgender people are crazy. I'm saying that the subset of loudest activists, nine times out of 10, is going to have like real personality disorder. I mean, we see it. So the, the, the conversation is being controlled by people who either have mental health problems or have had their puberty basically not happened. So they're children in adult bodies. They are mentally and intellectually and emotionally stunted. We talked about this at the the last episode a little bit. We talked about Jazz Jennings. Yeah. And I wanted to mention that there because I, 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 I mean, I'm not a watcher of reality TV, but Jazz is show was interesting to me just because the transition was interesting to me. 
Um, but Jazz Jennings is, uh, again, to repeat, was a very, very young, um, famous child transitioning. And very similar um, from, to the kid in this writer's piece, by yes, the way. Very yes, similar pattern, yeah, like early identifying, not somebody who was influenced very by social media, like the, 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 the yeah. quote unquote real thing. Yeah, feminine from the very beginning. And you follow this, you follow Jazz and you just see this person who has all kinds of, you know, depression deals with and it. it has uh, kind of an eating disorder, like eats a lot, eats their feelings yeah. kind of thing and struggles with, with weight gain. Uh, this person is, is feels stunted, you know? And when I, when I watch, uh, I don't watch anymore. I haven't watched in years, but when I would tune in, it was, it was like jazz seemed way more immature than other people in her cohort, you know, that, uh, people, I thought that you were going to say in her, her family, or, which would really her, be saying something. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the family is psychotic, but mother, especially psychotic, yeah. but uh, it, it, it's, it's like, it's like the, like jazz didn't grow up. Right. You know, and, and in some ways we, we, we have no idea what we're doing to the cognitive development of these people. We have no idea if it goes back. All right. We have no idea if in the end they, they, they become, you know, fully realized like adult humans in the way that they would, um, and then with jazz, there were all these medical complications as well. Some of them they discuss in this in the piece that we we covered earlier, the Reuters piece, um, that because jazz was placed on puberty blockers and uh, had cross sex hormones, jazz has jazz's penis was like too small yeah. to to full to, to do what they needed to do in order to get um the the a, a great result with uh with genital surgery and so they had to make do with all this thing and jazz had to go back and they use part of with complications part of, um, the colons and yeah, yeah. Co- colin just, wright talks about this in graphic detail on the unspeakable this oh past gosh. week so, those yeah. those surgeries are i mean you can't unsee you can't, can't, you can't, can't unknow that. that. Yeah. And I, I wish that I had, I don't know, I mean, I just, you know, you get curious and you're, <laughs> you're reading about it. And then, and then you're like, I wish I hadn't read that. I wish I hadn't seen that. Um, it just seems like really just experimenting with, in this, with this, in this butcher fashion on young kids who don't really know what they're signing up for and they can't possibly know what they're signing up for. So it makes me think, what are these parents? Where, what are they doing? Yeah. It's the parents. I think the, the untold story here are the, all the adults in the equation. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, there are people for whom sex reassignment surgery has been successful. I, I want to be clear about that. There's a lot of people out there who are happy that they transitioned adults. Like yeah, I know some a of them. A lot is so kind of, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, so compare the numbers of how many are currently transitioning. So we have to look at. Yeah. It's a different the cohort. Growth. Yeah. Of yeah, course. The, yeah, entirely different. But I'm not right. for the record. Like I'm not saying there's under no it doesn't circumstances. Work for no one. Right. Yeah. There, it does work for some people, but but I think it should. I, th- I think it should never be a possibility investigated for children. Period. No, and if it is, you should be honest about it. The fact that people at the highest levels are just flat out denying this is happening. Talk about gaslighting. I hate to denying use that term. Denying it's happening. But, denying as as uh, John Stewart was doing oh. that that there is that that there is dissent among the ranks of professionals right. of whether or not of of what's going on here, um, and and then a denial about the efficacy, then misleading statistics about suicide, yeah. about trans suicide, and this is so this is what the what parents are facing. They're facing your child is going to kill themselves if they don't transition, you know? And, and so they're fa- they're facing a false 
you know, a presentation of the future. Yeah. Of of the future that awaits their child if they don't take these extremely drastic measures. And I think maybe this is the, the, you know, we were discussing what needs to change. Maybe one of the things that needs to change, we need to do major debunkings of the claims that are made so often by activists and that are absorbed by clinicians. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and the public and, and pediatricians. I mean, again, this comes back to like, I, this actually is <laughs> takes us back perfectly to our original topic. Like, how much information can you absorb? Like, mm-hmm. we are asking pediatricians to absorb a level of information, an amount of detail that people who work for news organizations seem incapable of absorbing. Yeah. So, what do we expect? I mean, John Stewart has researchers and interns and an access to m- m- more information than than anybody, as much as anybody, and and yet we expect a pediatrician to to know yeah. what's up. What's up? I, yeah. No, it's yeah. terrible. Anyway, we've been going for a really long time. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, an hour, more than an hour. More than an hour. An hour so maybe, hey, maybe yeah. we should say, like, guys, if you think that we go on too long, you can tell us. I haven't had a complaint about it, but I have from some of my from some of my family members who are listening. They're like, "Oh my god, you can just keep going on." Okay, well, <laughs> that's fine. Then they can they can listen at at two x. They can listen at double uh, speed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, bonus now. Yeah, we're bonus. gonna do well, we're gonna wait, do we bonus. F- more light, light, lighter fare for the bonus, including <laughs> including Megan's uh, Megan's. Uh, the the body counts. <laughs> Sorry, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Sarah. Um, no, no, no. The 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 limit that she would accept in a man. Oh, the actual own. question. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna talk yeah. about um how many. No, no. She. Yeah. We're not gonna. No, 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 no. We're not gonna talk about your body. We're not gonna do that. We won't. We're. Um, <laughs> were you asking for my we are... my BMI? <laughs> No, right. we're, um, how many, yeah so yeah you asked a question about a, how many we're respectable yes. women and i thought yeah actually this was podcast. like more of like a language thing because you you were asking what's the um suitable body count for somebody you're yeah body count is who you yeah who okay. you have okay who, i have uh, never heard that term yeah. and so that's oh, what really? that's yeah that's part of what we're going to be talking about in the bonus because oh, yeah. i okay. body count to me is like if there's a if there's a war <laughs> how many people are <laughs> dead people you. that's the body count yeah Okay. So, well, you know, same thing. Lots of good. It's coming. It's coming at the at the bonus. Yeah. So, so anyway, subscribe to get that content. Um, otherwise, we will see you next week. See you in hell. We'll see you in hell. Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. <laughs> 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 <laughs>